Are you a hairdresser or barber? Do you want to take your career to the next level but unsure how? Then this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. I'm your host, Crystal Wilson. I've worked in the hair and beauty industry for the last 10 years, working my way up through some of the largest salons from each corner of the globe. Throughout my career, I've always been infatuated with the industry influencers, the people who have been able to make a name for themselves and have a flourishing career as a hairstylist. On this podcast, I'll be sitting down and talking to hair and beauty professionals who have taken their career to the next level. The ones who have gone from working behind the chair to exploring another avenue within the industry. From the platform artists, educators, business owners, TV and celebrity stylists, published, self-employed, brand-sponsored, and more, I'm sitting down and asking them how they've done it. I know these accolades can seem unattainable, so I'm making it my mission to break down the barriers, stereotypes, and simplify the process to make the dreams that you have more attainable. Join me every week on The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. Today we've flipped the switch. Usually my next guest is the one hosting a a cooking show or an interview himself on chatting with Cha-Cha, but I have decided to get him on and flip it around and see if I could get some really valuable information out of him. And I think I did. So I have Adam Chacha on the podcast today. He is well known on YouTube and has been doing his own chats on Instagram live throughout the past year or so. But something that I think is a misconception is that his YouTube channel just start, kind of started happening only recently, or we think of people again, as I've said many times, as an overnight success. And that was so not the case with him. And he has been doing this a really long time and been in the industry since the 90s. So I really loved hearing his story. Another one of university and um, having that path maybe be what he felt like he needed to do, but not so much what he wanted and how he fell into hairdressing. And he is somebody who now is able to work between LA and New York when we're able to do that traveling. I'm going to have a sneeze. Excuse me. Oh, I think that's my first sneeze I've done. Sorry about that. But he is able to go overseas and go to LA and New York and have clients. And that was something he grew through his um, YouTube channel and getting requests. And I found it so interesting. That's something that I've had people on the podcast that maybe do education internationally or things like that, but to actually be doing clients and discussing the process and how you go about payment and having um, bank accounts internationally is so and international transactions is really complicated. So he broke all that down for us and how that's happened. And then we also talked about the recent kind of wave of what's happening in Australia with freelance artists and people going out on their own and talking both sides. And I think he is a really nice guy who has, yeah, an opinion. And as we all have an opinion. So I really enjoyed chatting with him and hearing his story. And I hope that you will too. So without Further ado, as we always say, into myself and Adam Chacha. All right, today's a little bit of a different day. We flipped the switch a bit. We're used to seeing you on chatting with Chacha or cooking with Chacha, and I've got you on my own platform today. So I thought sometimes, I don't know if it's like that for you, you're probably used to it, but when the roles are reversed, sometimes it's a little bit nerve-wracking. I'm like, oh no, I don't want to be interviewed. I want to be the one doing the questions. Yeah. 
I can so relate to that. Thank you for joining me. No, it's good to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. No worries. I heard uh, you're having some snow in Canberra, so yeah, it's been um, it's been a typical Canberra winter. It, it, people will say, "Oh, it doesn't. It's not very cold this year." And then come late July, boom, snow comes. We get minus four most days, and oh my um, god! Yeah, so I don't know. People just seem to forget that uh, it's cold every year in Canberra. That's how it is. I've been here in Australia for five years. I've moved around quite a bit, but this is the coldest winter I think we've had. And everyone's like, no, you're just climatizing. And the other day I was like, it's my, it's definitely minus two. I'm freezing. It's minus two. And my partner's like, it's seven degrees, you idiot. Like, it's not <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. But I don't think you dress for the weather here the way that we would in Canada. Like I would never leave in the winter in my running shoes and here I am going out, you know, like denim jacket. Of course I'm freezing. It's um, it's all about what you used to, right? Totally. Well, yeah. would you, you're my first Canberra guest and I think my platform has a bit of a different reach sometimes because of where I'm from and my backstory. So for those of you who don't know, who you are. Do you want to give a little introduction to yourself? And then I usually start with how you got into the industry. Sure. Um, yeah, these, these are the parts of me that are quite awkward and uncomfortable because I don't like talking about myself. It's been something that I've struggled with my entire life. However, um, I um, am a hairdresser here based in Canberra. Um, most people within the industry would know me as that guy from YouTube um, that's a hairdresser because um, when I started YouTube back in 2011, it wasn't something that people in Australia were even that aware of. Um, so I spent the majority of my career here in Canberra. Um, started it uh, quite late in um, 1999. I was already 21 years old. Um, originally, was going to do a degree at university. Became mm. a little bit disconnected because um, I'm someone who who really needs to be inspired, and and I need to connect with the people that that um, I seek to teach me, um, which is something I try and do when I educate uh, myself is to make sure I can connect with people, on, not just the, like on what we're actually learning or teaching or giving, but actually on a human level. So I became a little bit sort of uninspired at university and um, decided to work in a hair salon as a salon coordinator um, mm. for a period of about eight, nine months. And then at that point in the salon, there was about um, – probably close to a dozen men working in salon, which is really rare, like obviously female-dominated industry. And these guys are like rock stars. So, you know, they were yeah. always dressed nice, hanging out. Like They knew everyone. They knew all the social scenes. They got into all the clubs. They didn't have to line up. And I was like, yeah, this is the sort of thing I want to do. So in 1999, I embarked on uh, – sorry, in 2000, I embarked on the career as hairdresser. Um, and then – found myself um, seeking more education. I wanted to learn more and, and, and I really connected with the Sassoon philosophy because um, Sassoon uses mathematics and geometry mm. to create um, shape in hair, which for me, I struggled for a long time because creatively I really struggled to be able to, um, I, you know, I was sort of surrounded by people who are artistic and, you know, you just pick this up and you slice this and you hold it like, and for me it never really made it didn't sense. didn't that way. No, I didn't, not at all. And then um, I found this um, book um, out the back of the salon had dust on it called Cutting Hair the Sassoon Way. And it was literally from like, like it was an early 80s edition. So it had been there for quite some time. <laughs> and when I opened it up, um, uh, almost instantly I started to understand the terminology that Sassoon was describing 
in the way he created shaping hair because he was using angle line projection. He's using geometric principles, which were, you know, um, for me was very easy to comprehend. And so I sought the further education with the Sassoon family. So I first started in Los Angeles doing work there with Mark uh, Hayes and Tracy Scotus and then mm. found myself over in London doing my international masters. So during that period, I decided uh, after coming back from LA in 2010, um, I spoke to a girl there who was um, in the bar at the hotel I was staying at, told me she'd moved from New York to LA because after the GFC, she got run out of town. She was a mortgage broker and she now was um, a stylist on YouTube. She said I was a YouTuber. I was like, what's a YouTuber? Yeah. It's like, I mean, I heard of YouTube, but I didn't know what it was. And then she told me that she started making how-to style videos and how to combine clothes from getting them at op shops or wherever else. Um, to create, you know, um, things for people to wear every day. And someone who was connected to Madonna saw one of her videos and then she found herself touring the world with Madonna being her stylist. So oh she blocked like that and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, so I can still, her name's Monica. I still actually um, uh, reach out and connect with her quite, uh, quite a bit. And um, I was wondering, hmm, I wonder if I could do that for haircuts. Yeah. It was just a thought. Anyway, fast forward maybe eight weeks, come back to Australia and... Uh, I was demoing what we learned at Sassoon in, in LA. One of the staff couldn't make it, so I asked somebody to grab my phone. Um, and it was the iPhone that you couldn't send picture messages on. You remember that one? <laughs> I was like, no. I don't know why we bought that. I was like, <laughs> we all bought it. I don't know why. It's like, it's fine. I'll go home. I'll email them to my friends. I don't need to send them. It's fine. <laughs> we actually said that. Um, but at the time, Google had not. Uh, acquired YouTube. So Apple had an arrangement. So when you press the option button, which is the box with the arrow, one of the options when recording a video was sent to YouTube because during oh, the filming, right away. I ran out of memory. So I actually used it as a storage <laughs> device to upload and then delete and keep recording these haircuts I was demoing. But then I wake up on the Sunday morning after doing the Saturday and my phone was covered with notifications. I'm like, what's going on? Obviously with the time difference, people are waking up after I've been to bed. Thanks so much for sharing. You know, I really love that haircut. I'm going to try this on my client. You know, I was like, what, what's happening? So that was basically the start of my um, YouTube oh my journey, God, which cool. you know, was a bit of a long, long way to get there. But that's basically what it. I've, before then, I just focused on uh, building clientele in Canberra because I still believe that the best um, judge, the best way to, to know how good a hairdresser is is by the size of their clientele. Now, if they're doing like, you know, six, eight people a day and you've got to wait eight weeks to get in, they're doing something right. Man, this, yeah. you know. So I focused on that for the, pretty much the first decade of my career. Um, I didn't do any photo shoots. I didn't do anything external. I just started doing YouTube. And then that's sort of how I established myself within the industry. And then um, since then, I, I was invited by, you know, many cosmetic companies to go and educate for them. The one that I decided to, to start my, and the only one I've ever worked for is Matrix uh, in the L'Oreal group. Um, it's been a great four years doing it with them. So I guess that sums me up, man. I was just like a, a boy from Belconnen, which is the suburbs of Canberra, that was going to go to uni and do economics. I was bored. I started working as a head, uh, like a salon coordinator and a hair assistant in salon. Decided to do an apprenticeship, started a YouTube channel, and now I'm talking to you, Crystal. Oh, my so, God. I love this. Crazy you know journey. Like, yeah. My favorite thing like about why I do that and the reason I do it is I just love hearing someone's story. And your story to me had very 
similar like marks to mine like it's interesting how a lot of us go through that same rotation and exactly when you said seeing them like rock stars that's something that I've said through my journey so many times like I saw these people on stage and I was like oh all I've ever wanted to do is be a singer and I have a shit voice so what am I gonna do I'm gonna get on stage by doing hair you know I saw this and I was like people winning awards like Grammys and I'm like oh this is how I can do that, you know, or something. I, I, I saw the potential outside of being in the salon and I was really lucky. I came from a 65 chair salon in Canada. So a massive wow. monster of a place to grow up in, but you're right that the people that I met in the salon, I was, I wasn't even legal. I was like 17 when I started working there. I was just out of high school and same thing. We'd have the big parties and go to the clubs in Toronto. And like, I'd sneak in with the girl behind me's ID and yeah. go in first. And it was just like the funnest, funnest time. And I was like, I just, I want to work here forever. I never thought I'd ever leave that salon. Like I loved it so much and the people and all of that. So that's such a cool story. I loved hearing that. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's good because I think I, I went about things slowly at my own pace. I didn't feel like I needed to do things before I was ready. I didn't enter an award until 2012. Wow. I was very fortunate to win New South Wales Hedricity the first time I entered, which I don't, oh still don't gosh, know if wow. it was a fluke or not, but I've won <laughs> it again since. You know, I've finally won Australian Hedricity the year a few times in a row now. So actually not sure whether I'm going to be able to do it this year. With the lockdown, um, I don't know how I'm going to get to Sydney and submissions are due in about two weeks. So yeah, I've got all my hair prepped up here beside me waiting to go like all my wigs and stuff oh. I've been working on but if not um I'll just it's wait hard, till next year it's all right life's long yeah. so Canberra's yeah. not in lockdown right now it's just us and Sydney right you're not forgive yeah me. um we we've never really experienced a hard lockdown here we had a closure of non-essential services in 2020 uh people in offices were told to stay home um, and then just recently for two weeks we had to wear masks and then yeah. that's now ended so yeah we're very fortunate in uh the ACT to be COVID free. Yeah, but it does impact you in in the fact that the the border closures and those things end up being a much bigger thing than it kind of seems to be. So yeah, it does. And a, a lot of small you. businesses in in the ACT rely very heavily on on yeah. government workers. I mean, sixty five percent of the ACT is employed by the public service. Yeah, if they're not in their offices in the cities there. and in the in the town centres yeah, working, huge. they're not frequenting the businesses, whether they be cafes, restaurants. You know, people are cancelling. It's like, oh, I'm working from home, so yeah. I'm not going to come into the city and have my hair done. I'll, I'll put it off for a couple of weeks. So it does have an impact, but I'm, I'm not going to say it's been as, as bad as elsewhere, but yeah. um, we definitely yeah. have, have felt it a lot. Yeah. So Now, when you said in your story that you were meant to go to university, is, was that controversial for your family? Because something that I've really yeah. tried to, the reason I really started this podcast, and I don't know if you're familiar with my story of it, but was to erase this stigma around hairdressing because I felt the same. Like I had to go to university and my granny, I remember so many times being like, so what are you going to do after hair? You know, like, when are you going to go to school? And I'm like, no, this is it. Like, the, you know, like, that is such a big thing and I really want to eliminate that. So it sounds like when I was reading through your information before that that was a bit of your story too and maybe wasn't totally Yeah, it is. It's a big part of my story that you because you were going into hairdressing. Um, I guess, um, well, it depends who you ask. I, my father always said um, whenever you decide to do something, no matter what it is, he was always certain I was going to be, okay and for me I just didn't really know what I wanted to do 
um, I went to university just because that's just what you do, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still have people say to me, oh, so are you still hairdressing? Like it was a temporary thing. Yes. So what do you mean? Like, are you still a surgeon? You know, like, <laughs> um, and, and it's sad because I think, I think it says more about them than it does about me, but I don't understand why. Well, look, maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of those guys that say that to me don't look at their wife's bills and see what they're paying to have their hair done because that's because um, they're paid so, half cash and half on the credit card. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably that's right. But um, look, it, it, it used to bother me a lot, Crystal. I think yeah. um, that, you know, the, the, the assumptions about your lack of intelligence, your sexuality. Yes. Um, I'm a drago. Um, you know, what, God knows the things that, how, how they come up with these assumptions and the perception I was giving them. But, yeah, look, it's, it's not so bad anymore. I guess once you, once you establish yourself in, in any field um, and you have some sort of success, however you want to measure that, whether it be, you know, I mean, there's so many ways to measure success, yeah. but whether people see you doing well for yourself so you can provide for a family or you're living on your own or you're being able yeah. to get by life, I think um, those things go away. But I used to help my mates who are now doctors with their homework at school. I mean, one of them's a, a pediatrician. The other one's a radiologist. I've got mates and the lawyers. And, and we still sort of giggle about it. I've got mates that are super intelligent guys that, you know, we take them to um, trivia nights and I just sit there because they know every answer. And we still uh, laugh about it because it's sort of like, I don't, I still don't know how that, how that happened. But look, I, I've, I've often thought about going back to uni and maybe doing law, but that would be, that would be more to challenge myself. But the reality is, did I wake up one morning and say, I want to be a hairdresser? No. Yeah. But I think, I think that, I think that's the whole point. I think that too often people, people have a checklist that they're either being inherited from parents because of family values, cultural background, whatever. And it's like, I have to do this check. I have to do that check. I have yeah. to do this check. I think that if young people are happy, and that they're always moving forward and there's there's no negative influences in their life and provided that they're not wasting time, you find where you need to be in life. It just happens organically. And sure, if I didn't have a relative that was um, a hairdresser, I probably wouldn't have been exposed to it. Mm. But it was an active choice at 21. It wasn't like I did it because I was too dumb for school, I became a hairdresser. And I think it's really sad that a lot of uh, academic people have, have a perception and look that's a generalization people in general have a perception that you you do a trade because you're too dumb for university totally meanwhile and i don't know yeah i was yeah, sorry, i was the say. first one out of my friends that traveled around europe i worked in the hair salon that i worked at from high school and i was able to go around europe i bought an apartment when i was 23 that i still own and have someone living in in canada you know, my partner's a tradie and we have a beautiful home that we live in that is owned. And, you know, I did all of those things before any of my friends who went to university. And it was this thing that I felt proud, almost being like, ha, like, look, like, look what I can do. And I have control over my salary. I've worked on a commission structure my whole life at home that that was up to me what I got paid and how much I was able to earn and save. And that motivated me so much. And everybody coming out of uni was going into these entry-level jobs, getting paid crap, working hours that were crap. And, you know, we have that aspect of our industry as well, too, that you start at the bottom and we work evenings and weekends. And if you don't love it, it's not worth it. But it was something that I always felt like after 
I had I always had a regret that I didn't go to uni because I missed out on the fun aspect of it like all my friends lived in residence and had that experience but I got the best of it I'd go up for the weekend stay for the whole weekend go to the parties and go home and they had to go study on Monday morning and I was going to do hair which I loved anyway so yeah I'm not sure why people do that but there there is still there is still a perception that you know if you think things aren't going well for you at school if you're a female especially maybe yeah. you should be you know a hairdresser or a yeah. therapist which I think is really sad um, yeah and what I wanted I, to I shed light de- on yeah I certainly didn't develop the, my I certainly didn't mature as a man and develop and I continued I, I, I continued to mature as a man and develop my intellect well into my 20s because there's so many sources of information to be able to expand your mind and to learn and to grow, I think that it's actually quite an unintelligent like view to think that a university is the only place you can educate yourself. I actually think that it's quite a, a restrictive place to be able to educate yourself because mm-hmm. you learn one narrative, one way, and you're sort of indoctrinated with one process of thought. I think when you get out into the world, especially, um, as you said, when you travel, yeah. When you work with different people from all the walks of life, it actually, they're, they're, that's a real big education. Uh, well, I think that there's a lot of value in that education that a lot of people have forgotten about because you, you actually get the best of a lot of minds and, and, and actually grows and you get to a point, your, your mind grows and you get to a point We're where diverse. you actually make conscious decisions about what it is you want to do and you take the path that, that you want rather than going back to that checklist like, you know, you got to go to uni. You got to get a degree. You got to get married. You got to buy a house. You got to like those things are just like got to throw them away. And yeah. I think that the sooner we we take the shackles off the perception of our industry, um, I think that we'll start getting more, more respect. And I think you do that by um, podcasts like this, people speaking out, raising awareness, and and if if only they knew they being the general public knew yeah. that. There's amazing hairdressers and artists doing things that they don't know about, which are actually academic-based. There's yeah. some hairdressers that are actually in Australia developing medicinal cannabis. They're actually working on cosmetic ranges that are that clean and, and lower toxicity. Mm-hmm. Like that implies that requires huge intellect and huge intelligence. And um, yeah, I, some of the most smart people I know are hairdressers actually. Hundred percent. Some I'm... of the most crazy I know are hairdressers as well. <laughs> some of the dumbest idiots I know. Head yeah. when you're saying this there's a, a, a interview I did with Frank Gambuza and he was on talking about when he goes out with his friends who are doctors and lawyers he goes Crystal I walk into a room and I don't feel any less than I am proud to be I walk in he said there was a time in my career where I did walk into that room and feel this like little bit of like shame or you know you're with these big people at that le- that labeled le- level of success and he said I walk in that room now and I don't feel any less than and that the intelligence is in the room when you are in your chair the person in your chair every 45 minutes or you know for me every hour or two hours <laughs> sometimes I take a long time um, is a different person that you get all yep. these different experiences and I just feel so grateful for that aspect of the career that I've been able to learn so much um, through that. And I think that people sometimes feel like hairdressing isn't that. And that's literally why I started the podcast was to show the people who have a YouTube channel or are traveling the world or are doing celebrities or are working on movies or developing a product line 
all the avenues. There's so much you can do without just being behind the chair, if that's what your desire is to do. Correct. Yeah. So where do you feel like, did you, do you think that that YouTube growth for you came organically because you got in so early? Like there was no maybe hashtagging and strategic marketing and things like that when you did it, it just kind of happened. Or did you have this background in e-commerce or whatever it may be that kind of got it going? Cause I think it's really hard to grow those things now, maybe comparatively to then. Look, looking back, it's clear I didn't have an agenda. You can you can see by the way that the the content was created in the early days. It was literally shot on a like on a camera. I don't, I don't know if it was the iPhone. It might have been yeah, it might have been like just the um, Motorola handheld. You know those little handheld cameras that like little ones like this that you um, used to take out with you. Can you imagine you used to go out with yeah, the camera in your it's pocket? Crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but um, I guess the intent. <laughs> The intent was then still the same as what it is now. It was, I realized after reading those comments, as I mentioned, when I uploaded that video for the first time, when I was just using YouTube as storage, when I went through those comments, Crystal, I, it became very apparent to me that there were people in parts of the world that were far less fortunate than me that couldn't mm. access the education that I had the luxury of being to access. Yeah. And I, and I honestly believe this, that you can't always do things for money. Sometimes you have to do things for your soul because that's how you actually find happiness and that was my way of being able to just do something for my soul I thought you know what I'm gonna just there was an agenda I'm just gonna cut hair I'm gonna upload these videos and if it helps somebody somewhere in the world achieve something then then great so my intention was to always give my knowledge away without any expectation in return and that's been my philosophy the entire time I think the reason why part of the reason why um it grew was because probably, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even, when I started my YouTube channel, I didn't even look to see if there are other hairdressers doing it. I was that naive about it. I didn't have any channel artwork. I mean, the platform has, has changed so much. Just it used to literally just be like an index directory where you just have video with a tiny little thumbnail. like, And now it's like, it literally looks like, you know, full e-commerce, you've got integrated stores. But the capabilities is huge. But I think what has happened is with technology, I've been able to, create better content um i've been i get better so i, well, I hope i get better i'm not as go back anymore. to the first video i'll be the judge yeah it's bad it's really bad it's still there too. i'm gonna I'm make that the thing for your podcast <laughs> advert look at this yeah. guy <laughs> you know it's i guess um it's made me a better educator i've been able to um you know practice i guess and i think um the thing that's continued to motivate me is their comments that i get you know Thanks. So like people yeah. will, I got a couple on uh, Instagram just yesterday, actually people said that they used the techniques that they saw in one of my videos and they did it on their client and they rebooked and they were super happy. Thanks so much. That, that stuff makes me happy. Yeah. And I know that might sound egotistical, but it actually does make me happy because I know that I've given something to someone without any expectation. It was free yeah. and it's helped them. And it makes me feel good about myself. That might be a bit self-indulgent, but I guess um, YouTube has obviously grown in actual fact, it's starting to get a little bit harder, but there, there was just one point where I did this one video and we'll talk about the video that blew up my channel. Okay. I just okay. had a friend of mine, she had really long hair. We started cutting off slowly, slowly, and she wanted to cut into a really short haircut. Some people call it a pixie haircut. I don't even know what that is. Like this, this apparently if you just, if you, if you can see your ears and the front's long, that's a pixie. So whatever. Okay. Um, 
and it just blew up. And I don't know why, but it just blew up. And so there was nothing the different I, in that video in terms of your editing or your tagging well, yeah, there or was. anything. There was no, there was, there was the fact that it went for an hour and thirty minutes. Oh wow! Okay. And I get told well, if you make it longer than eight minutes, you don't get any good engagement. Well, that's had like almost eight million views. So oh there gosh, goes that wow. out. You know. So yeah. there, there's your YouTube best practices out the window. Um, <laughs> And then while the whole time I was focusing on giving my skills to hairdressers, little did I know that now Google had acquired YouTube. YouTube is now a search engine. So they were indexing video content as a priority on Google. Mm. So when people are sh searching short haircut, enter, the first line is Google's. Google's um, uh, YouTube placement. YouTube, yeah. So then I started to have consumers approaching me saying, I want you to cut my hair. I was like, so that's what really blew, blew the channel up. The growth in the channel came from how YouTube was being used, not the content that I um, yeah. created. So, yes, the content's far better than what it used to be. Mm. Yes, I'm creating it with intent now and I'm becoming a better educator. I probably was in there before most people. Um, but I think the growth of everybody's channel, hair included, is the consumer can now, instead of reading about something, they can watch it on YouTube. So now I just find myself being asked by literally people all over the world to cut the hair. And that's how eventually I decided to start going to North America to start doing clients. So while people think I'm over there doing education, I've actually built myself up a private clientele in LA and New York. I've now got some in Austin in Texas. If it hadn't been for COVID, it would have been London and Dubai as well. So I just oh go gosh. there, basically do 30, 40 people and I come home. Because so. your key words in your <clears throat> title of your YouTube is short hair or you, you're strategic about the words now that you're putting in the title of the video because that's what comes up for your search for Google. Yeah, so it's like how to or, yeah. um, you know, um, from long to short or the perfect lob or yeah. is this blonde or is it brunette? Is this blonde or is it blonde? Do blondes have more fun? Like all yeah. those sorts of things. I think they do. I know they do. <laughs> My wife, tootin', mate, we she do. has lots of fun. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it has helped. But I, I do. Oh. Um, I, I could do a lot better than what I do. But like I said, I like, I like to keep it authentic for me. So if I were to start just to create content like everybody else, then I go away from my original intent. And my intent is to provide open source education for people who are hairdressers and entertainment for the hair curious. And that's what my channel says. It says open source head education for hairdressers or entertainment for the hair curious, because I think 70% of my channel are non hairdressers oh, subscribers. Really? Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, I don't, I don't know why, but people go home and I want to watch people having their hair done. Love it. Therapeutic. Yeah. So how did that then translate into you going overseas? Like now maybe walk us through how that works for you. How do you go about going from Australia to LA or to New York and doing hair? How does, how does that get facilitated for you? And how do you do that? Cool. Do you go to their house? What's the vibe? Um, initially, um, inquiries started to come in and my wife would tell me, oh, someone today in LA asked if you could, you know, if you ever go, could you cut your hair? And I'm like, well, yeah, that ain't ever going to happen. And then around about 2016, things weren't going so well and I needed I needed a break. I actually thought about um, not having salon life anymore. I actually thought about a, a lot of different things. Yeah, I do have, have a salon. It's just, there's a lot of stuff going on. So 
I said to my wife one night, how many people do you think have inquired from, you know, the US about me doing their hair? So she had the foresight to actually create an inbox in, in our email and put what North America. Woman. She just thought, yeah, she just thought of this. I think there was about 400, 400 and something emails over a two-year period of people asking if I'd go and do their hair. It was ridiculous. Wow. I said, hmm. I said, you know what, maybe we should try. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I, th- I think I want to try and give this America thing a crack. So anyway, we ended up sending out an email saying, you previously inquired about Adam cutting your hair. If um, you'd still be interested, please let us know. We'll put you on a list and we're going to send you out some details. About half of them replied, you know, I want some information about that, maybe a bit more. So then we had to sit down and think about the economics of it and what it would cost. And we decided on three ninety five American a haircut. So this is back in 2016, wow. 2017. That was $800. And yeah, it was, well, it was because a, a proportion of it was going to go to my airfare and accommodation. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, just it's not cheap people to fly. who don't know the American dollar. Yeah. Um, so we sent that out in about 90, 90 something, I can't remember, people emailed back. It's like, I mean, I'm like, oh, God. What have I signed myself going, up I'm not for? Going there to, I'm not going there to do that many people's hair, right? So I said, I just want to, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I just want to do like maybe 30 in LA and that's it. I just want to go and try it, see what, how it goes. So I made my first trip over there. I've got a um, great family there in, in uh, Huntington Beach. Big shout out to Jamie and the team at Parlor 11 down on Main Street. And uh, I met Jamie at... Um, uh, what's it called down there on Long Beach? Ice International Salon Spa Expo, ISSE. Oh yeah, which yeah. Which is like their their hair expo thing down there yeah. in Long Beach. And she said, "Yeah, like you know, you can come and use my salon." So I just started renting a chair from her, and that was it. In uh, 2017, I made my first trip there, and since then I started um, working in New York as well. Um, and then when I got to 30 people in each city, obviously at that price. I need to do 30 in each city. I closed my books. And then I also started getting asked, do you do education? So I'm like, sure. So I mentor 12 hairdressers in LA and 12 hairdressers in New York. So uh, I've been doing that. While you were there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I do that on the end of the trip. So at the end of it, I go to New York first. I'll do my clients. And then in the end on the Sunday, I'll do a workshop. I'll have Monday, Tuesday off. Then I go to LA, I'll do my clients. And then at the end of the trip, I'll do my clients and I come my workshop and I come home. Oh so I've God. been doing that for quite a while now, yeah. Now, well, was there I, actually, any sort of... Was, yeah, you wouldn't have been Sorry, you go. Yeah. No, I was no, just I thinking something that I found tricky because I did some stuff between Canada and North America. And then when I moved here, I was doing education on behalf of Sunlights, which was an American company. And navigating the finances of all that, where it's going into like different bank accounts and my Canadian account, yep. was that something that you had to get someone to help you with or because you had the yep. salon they took it the money and just gave you like how do you go about it's it's, it's hard so it's i got so myself hard. a great attorney in uh irvine big shout out to jenny Sawyer. um <laughs> irvine there she's an amazing attorney it's it is very complicated so what we decided to do is to ask people to make a donation to my airfare and accommodation okay and then i cut the hair for free ah. so they're oh. actually not they're actually getting the hair for free um, so they're buying you like a voucher off. for a virgin or something and then you're using Yeah, that. so they're, they're basically making a, a, a donation yeah. to my air for an accommodation and it's a sign of gratitude I cut the hair for free um, because, as you know, I don't have a cosmetology licence. I actually legally can't work mm. in a salon in California. Mm. So, But I could cut hair in a hotel. I could cut hair anywhere provided it's I'm not 
offering hairdressing services. So um, there's various places like um, that I, I've um, used their facilities like Salon Republic. They've got uh, an artist studio where you go and do photo shoots. I just go in there and I'm just doing YouTube videos. So um, yeah. it all got checked off. I'm not collecting any, any money in the US, so I'm not breaking any laws. I have an EA1B retainer agreement, which is a freelance visa for uh, athletes, actresses, actors and artists. So yeah. I am allowed to work there Very if nice. I want to, but I'm technically not working because I'm not collecting any money. I'm actually pretty straight up. I won't even accept their tips. I'm like, look, yeah. you've already paid well more than enough for me to do your hair and yeah. I'm not breaking any laws, so I don't want to be non-compliant to my visa. Cool. Um, so, yes, that's that's sort of how I do it. So I actually don't have to do a tax return in the US because I don't get paid there. I get paid into Australia yeah. and I'm, I'm paid up in full before I leave the country. Yeah, smart. Cool. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. That's all right. And so when you say you go into Salon Republic and stuff, was that an eye-opener for you, seeing those suite-like scenarios and how there's a whole other world? And probably just in, even going into America, into your friend's salon, it's very different over there. Do you agree? Yes. Was that your first time seeing salon kind of structure in that way? Yeah, it was. It was a big shock, which is why, mm-hmm. and I knew it would be, which is why I said to my wife on that first trip, I'm like, I need to go and see how this process works. Yeah. Um, Salon Republic, Salon Republic is um, something that you know is, is pretty common now. Um, I had friends that that at the time, like Alfredo Lewis, Philip Wolf, Ricky Zito, they all have salon spaces there. So I was familiar with how it worked. And Parlor Eleven down on, on Main Street, that's actually a traditional salon environment, like it is here in Australia. They do have people that are they're on like a minimum wage in commission and then they've got people who are renting chairs or contractors um but it, it still felt like a team environment but yeah. it was weird to go into such a massive space at Salon republic it was almost like a like a doctor's surgery on steroids you have this beautiful reception area with all these products yeah. it's like hi i'm here to see adam yep no problem they look it up and they go okay so you go down the hall to your left and then go left again and it's the third on your right it's number 164 and you go down there you knock on the door you open up and you've got like different configurations so you can have one two or three basins and then two three or four chairs so it was interesting but i mean they've been great to me they're you know eric is is an amazing guy and he's he's uh welcomed me with open arms he's actually was on his podcast um and uh he's um they faced some challenges over there um california especially um, had a very hard time it's been really tough there but look I'm, i'm hoping one day to get back there but i don't know um, it might have passed and the sad thing for me is I, I spent so much time building those relationships with those people yeah and I'm, I can't see myself going back there in the foreseeable future unfortunately so yeah fingers crossed that won't be the case but um look I think the I think the way that they work in America is is it's it's coming here it's here and already not on that scale and I think that yeah we're just going to need to embrace it I think there's pros and cons to working in in a sweet environment versus um selling environment if you're happy to work by yourself um then it works for you but for me i I just couldn't do that i can't work by myself i need people around me yeah it's not that i'm a needy guy but i I need energy i need people around i like the the tempo of the salon space i like the culture i like the team family environment and it's not that you couldn't have that in in a in in like sort of a, a suite sort of setup but it's more like a it's more like a, a neighborhood rather than people in the same house. Does that make sense? Mm. 
Totally. Steve and I think it's a conversation that became a very hot topic recently that might have been sparked a little bit on your end. Dude, I, 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 st- I still don't know what <laughs> I did. We can skip over if you want, but I No, mean... look, I, I, don't, I don't mind. I, I don't know what I did or said, but apparently I, I, I ruffled a few feathers. Mm. I, I went back and, and re-listened to the conversation I had with the person I was having a conversation with and... um. I'm not sure what I said that I think sometimes when you say things that strike a chord with people, sometimes the truth can hurt. Um, and for whatever reason, that sparked a conversation, which um, I was asked many times to be involved in, which I respectfully declined because I didn't feel that was appropriate for me to do so. Yeah. Um, I did, I did uh, hear some feedback from them and, and I believe it did open up some, healthy dialogue for people to discuss their concerns, pro and con. I think where I was coming from is, I think, and it was was cleared up. Um, I think a lot of a lot of hairdressers are led down a very shady path of the grass is greener on the other side. But I think the grass appears greener because if I can use some crude words, it's because it's been fertilised with bull, you know what. Mm. And um, that was the scary thing is I was seeing hairdressers leaving supportive, cultured, selling environments to chase this idealistic um, dream of working by yourself and not realising that at the end of 12 months they hadn't paid their bills, they owed GST, they were in debt and they found themselves in these big, dirty financial holes that they couldn't get out of. And that was was my concern is we need to be more transparent about um, if you want to embark on a journey of being in business, um, you need to see it for what it is. It's and uh, and I did hear some of the conversations that were had um, after the conversation I had, what it sparked, and they were honest. And I think that it was it was really important that they shared the fact that they do have financial struggles. That when it's people massive. cancel, you do have work. When you finish work, you do have to do your own books. You do have to do your appointments, pay your bills, pay your GST. So, you know, for me, if you're working by yourself as a contractor. Um, if you are being compliant and you're paying your super properly, you're emitting your GST, you're paying your tax, you're saving working capital and paying yourself a wage. If you're prepared to work 70 hours a week to do what you could earn in a salon in a 40-hour week if you want to work really hard and, and you knew that, that's fine because there is a lot to be said by being in control of your own destiny. Well, I mean, I I'm doing it myself. Exactly, exactly what it is. With that. Yeah. But you need, to, you need to see for what it is. Like It's a trade-off. Like I've got girls that work yep. for me that make $8,000 a month after tax. They put their scissors down at the end of the day, go home and think about nothing. Yep. They don't have to make their own appointments. They don't have to rebook their clients, whatever. And if you want to earn that sort of money and you want to do that on your own, you have to understand that all the stuff that's done for you, the auxiliary stuff that you've forgotten about, you're going to have to do yourself because what happens is that the ATO is, is not going to say, oh, it's okay, you didn't know, you made a mistake. Yep. They're not like that. You get crucified and then it affects your ability to even get a lease for, for, a, for residential rent or potentially buy yeah. a loan. And, and I don't want to see our industry go down that path where you have people who have left the industry because they've maybe done things in business, made a mistake or whatever that, that they, they weren't aware of. It was because there was a perception painted that this is, this is the holy grail. You don't have to work for the man anymore. Every salon owner was trying to rip you off. Yeah. So I just felt like the, the argument was one-sided 
and after the conversation was had on other people's social media, I can it was uh, far more balanced. And those people actually said, like, they do what they do because they want to be in control of their own destiny, but there's exactly. there's pros and cons. Totally. And I just know that I had a couple of people who had, who had left us recently and done that, and they've both been at three different places since uh, because they, they were sold a dream that yeah. was just for you, know, you, you were, yourself, that, that people amazing. were just seeing that it's amazing and this and that, and I'm working for myself. Not that there's all the back end of it. Whereas I feel like for myself, when I went into working for myself, I knew for that's what I wanted to do since I arrived here, because that's the model I came from at home. And whether it be freelance or just like a, a fully commission based situation was what worked for me. And I just could not feel motivated in the pay structure that I was being presented. It never worked for me, but I have had conversations with many of my friends that I worked with in the salons that I've come from being here that they would never want to do that. They would never want to be doing the bookings. They would never want to be doing the color order and all of those things. They love that aspect. But for me, I just, it does not work for me. I, 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 I hated it. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and that was, that was all, all my, yeah. my point was the other point I was making is that um, we had concern that who's training the future of, of the industry and who's training apprentices. And there's this, and, and I know that there's many incredibly talented freelance artists that do education all the time and mm. the industry should praise them and be very grateful for that. However, people have to pay to go and see them. Apprentices don't have the money to pay Adam Chacha $800 to come to one of his courses. Whereas they're getting that education from you when they're working for you in your salon. Correct. And the salon owner is also paying their tuition. So yeah. not only do we pay them to go to TAFE, so TAFE is a fully paid day at work. You actually yeah. have to pay their fees for them. Yeah. And this is the other thing. It's like, for me, it doesn't look, Crystal, if, if, if for me, it doesn't matter. And I know this sounds self-righteous, but it doesn't won't have any effect on my life, but we must leave the industry in a better state than when we came into it. Yeah. That is that we, we must. So if we all just take, 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 great, you know, you know, and then we don't give back. Well, what really have you achieved? You get to retirement, you look back and like, Oh, geez, not many salons around anymore. And my fear is that, well, if the traditional salon environment is declining, then who's going to be prepared to fund the cost of training apprentices? Yeah. However, if salon owners want to provide environments that are unethical and they treat people like shit and they don't pay them well and they yell at them and abuse them, well, then we need to look at salon owners and hold them accountable as well, you know, because there's two sides. And I think that's the part that didn't come across before people thought we were. There was a very balanced conversation we had. I know because I've worked for one for 15 years. You expect the maximum, get paid the minimum, while the owners are raking in the money. I've been there. And I've, and I've um, been a big advocate of, of the Australian Hairdressing Council. They have an accreditation system which goes, they go into salons and make sure that they're providing ethical, safe environments where yeah. people are paid properly and trained properly. So we do need to clean industry up because otherwise we, we've only got ourselves to blame if people like, screw that, I'm not working in salons like that anymore. I'm going to go yeah. and work by myself. And so they should. They shouldn't work for people that are not doing the right thing. So it's a two... Sort of, it's, it's got two issues that need to be dealt with. We need to make sure that salons are ethical and they're doing the right thing, paying people super and all that stuff, and providing fair um, pay for and commission structures for the work they do, not like paying award wages. I mean, who actually pays award wages anymore? Do people even yeah. do that? 
Yeah. I mean, if I paid award wages in Canberra, I'd have no staff. I mean, I think I think we've got like second years making eight hundred dollars a week. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you have to because. The only thing worse than health stress is financial stress. You can't make it to get the best out of your staff if they're under financial pressure. Well, so salons exactly, need to clean up yeah. their shit. And if you want to, if you want to promote um, working for yourself and whatever that might be in a salon where you rent a chair or you're a contractor or commission based, whatever, that's fine. All I'm saying is, with that, how about we come up with some structure that when they go there and look, they they probably they probably do. I don't know how suites are run in the country. They might provide you with. You know, info on how to remit your GST properly, how to do your bookkeeping. I, I don't know. Yeah. But all I'm saying is can we please just make sure when people make this decision as a they're hairdresser, aware. they're set up for success. Yeah. I don't want to see them failing and, and, and then having debts to the ATO and all this sort of stuff because it's yeah. sad. I don't yeah. want anyone to go for that. So I was coming from a place of love. I wasn't coming from a place of fear that, yeah. oh, I'm not going to have a salon because trust me, if I went and worked like that by myself, I'd make far more money. I'd be far better off. Yeah, but as I've already said, I like having people around me, and I actually get a lot of satisfaction from training people and help and working with the apprentices and, and doing all that stuff. So, for me, it's not about money. I've got to find that balance between having a salon and making it profitable so that I can justify, but also need satisfaction out of it. So you can't have both. Yeah. You can't make maximum amount of money and then have a a great environment that you enjoy. If you want to have a good environment, you have to pay staff well, you've got to provide amenities which cost money and you have to be prepared to make a little less money, but you come to work in a nice place every day. That's yeah. why I don't know why salon owners haven't figured that out yet. It's not just all about the bottom line. Yeah. I think a lot of it came from just the fact that it was this like segregation type thing and you're working alone that I think a lot, of, I love the people I'm working with and we're all in a chair rental situation. And I still feel like I have that salon family component because I'm not by myself. And That's also good. the people who I think are going into those situations and not educating further or those things are people who were never going to educate within a salon environment anyway. There's many people in a salon that don't train the apprentices. That's naturally right. where I shine. Like that's naturally, I cannot keep my mouth closed while a foil uh, is being passed up to me. That's like good. I can't not explain it whether they want to hear it or not. They're probably like, I, you've told me this eight times, Crystal. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. People, it's, it's so important that we share. We must share. Yeah, those people that maybe are going into those sweet situations, that's because they are those introverted people who don't want, not to say everybody's introverted doing that, but maybe whether they were in a salon or not, they weren't going to be contributing to that factor. And I think it's just totally blown up the Australian situation here. And the conversations just started happening here. Whereas for me looking at it, and maybe for you that you've been in, in America and seen it, I'm like, this isn't new to me. This isn't new. And salons didn't die in America. Like there's still salons and we have a completely different um, education structure. You ha I went to college and I then did an apprenticeship. I think it's just adapting to what it is and understanding that it's not just happening here. It ha It's happened for years, other places. And, and it should happen. And it's natural and it's going to happen. Functioning. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, yeah. two things are we need to clean up traditional salon environments so yeah. people aren't forced to have to leave. And we just got to make sure that when when people go out on their own, they understand their obligations and making sure they know what they're getting themselves into. I, yeah. I don't want to see anyone fail. That's that's all it is. And yeah. I think what happened was with that particular conversation is that someone took what we said out of context and thought it was coming from a negative place or a fear. It just yeah. wasn't. It just yeah. wasn't. It was like I know firsthand people who have massive debts with the ATO 
that are working second jobs trying to trying to just pay these debts back because they just I didn't know no one told me this yeah now something else to you know change the subject but still be on it is I feel like something I really took away from that conversation because I listened and I loved it and I wrote notes and you know I was writing I that's me to a t I'm a note writer so I'm like (laughs) oh a honeypot what's this what's that so you guys were talking about other avenues that you have been able to provide revenue for yourself. So different honeypots was your word. So where, yeah, what, that how wasn't my you, word. Oh, Natalie's word. <laughs> how do you feel like you got into understanding those different avenues? Like we said, we go into hairdressing, but then we're able to branch into other avenues. Is somebody helping you a business coach or somebody being like, Oh, it'd be a good idea if you made sweaters or get on the, like does YouTube now somebody had said to me and why I started doing YouTube as well as the podcast was because YouTube is an easier way to make revenue rather than Spotify or iTunes. They don't pay you for your podcast as easily as YouTube would for views. Is that something that you learned doing this? Um, yeah, I think um, I, I think as I've already said, for the first 12, 13 years, all I did was work in the salon. Um, and then I started doing YouTube. I guess, as you've said, there's lots of different ways we can generate income with our skills. You, you have to take time in life to invest in developing that. So I chose to do that while other people chose to sleep or go out or party. Mm. So I started to look at how I, can, how I can use what I know, my knowledge, my skills to be able to generate an income. And it takes a lot of reading. So I guess I looked at uh, monetizing my um, YouTube channel because there are certain requirements actually just monetized my Instagram, which is crazy. I didn't even ask. I just did it. I didn't oh, even really? do that. Yeah. So yeah. like when you do the lives and people do the badges or something separate. Yeah, but from I, that. I donate that to charity. There's that, but then there's, um, um, you can, um, um, it's just about to be launched. It's called a subscription. It's basically going to be like only fans for Instagram. <laughs> so you heard it first. So you basically you're going to, you get, no, I wouldn't make any money. Oh, actually, I'm, I look all right for an old bloke. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm not going to do that. My, my wife would kill me, literally. She'd kill me. She's a mad Hungarian woman. She would chop me up. Um, <laughs> You'd be on the spit like your no, There's going to be like a subscription. Yesterday. <laughs> there's going to be a subscription-only part of Instagram, which is being launched later on this month. Oh, cool. So I was reading about that. My point is you've got to seek this information out. Like, So when, when Natalie Ann said, We've developed our own honeypots. We, we've we've taken time out of our lives to to develop our our minds as entrepreneurs to be able to say, okay, well, for example, I had um Paul from Sustainable Salons, amazing guy. He's like, man, you know your YouTube channels, you know it's really growing. Maybe you should start selling merch. I'm like, what do you mean? Mm. He goes, yeah, I, I watch these other guys, and you know, I can't remember what they call this other channel, and and people buying their t-shirts. So I started doing that. So I usually got my cutter brand on. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Um, so people, I started wearing them. People were like, oh, where do I get a T-shirt? Mm. So I started selling. They would ask about just the things I've got on around my wrist. So I started yeah. selling them. So then you start to develop um, relationships with cosmetic brands and how your work and, and your profile can then help 
drive sales to their business because you're the putting the day, a pitch to them being like, I can correct. elevate you. So you're, per, you're going to them essentially rather than them coming to you. Yeah. Why wait? You got to chase it. right? Yeah. So then I have, um, um, now with the, the chatting with Cha-Cha, uh, key, the, the make the blue light glasses have offered to support me if I just wear them during every episode and just say today's episode is brought to you by key Australia, head over to key .com.au and you buy something. I need them. Look at the ring money. light in my glasses. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. <laughs> so, so bad, but I can't see without them. And I can't put the yeah. ring light. I'm in a very tidy corner. <laughs> I know it looks like well, I'm in a big mansion here, but. <laughs> it's <laughs> like. In my a, closet. <laughs> it's one of those things that, I don't know, then you just think about things more. It's like, well, what about this? I've, I've done some things that have not gone so well. They've failed, but um, you just have to find you a way to take what you have and build something and then okay well, what can I do with this you can market people's products you can sell education you, you can there's so many things you can do so when you say growing a honey pot it's like it starts from an idea and you have to you have to you have to create a demand for whatever it is you're doing and I don't know how I did that actually but it sort of <laughs> happened I actually don't it sort of happened by itself and then that's come from having a solid foundation first. And for me, the solid foundation, because you can't just do four years of hairdressing and then go, I'm going to start Instagram and start selling merch. Yeah. So I started from, well, first I needed to build myself a solid foundation. That's my salon. That's number one. It always be number one. It never comes second to anything except for my family. It has to be first every time, always. Then from that, I'm just like, okay, well, I've got my YouTube. That's the second most important thing. And the goal for me is to still find someone who I can give the password to that channel when I'm 50 and that's theirs. They can literally take it over. All the money that it earns is theirs, and that's it. So if you're out there listening, you know, that's something that I think you should do. I think that once you build these platforms, you should find someone who's earned the right to continue it and yeah, let them cool. do that. Um, and then, you know, I've obviously doing chatting with Charter. Why did I do that? I actually don't know why I did that. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Like, like Your I'm name was made time. to do it. I'm like, I need a better name. Yeah. And now <laughs> someone said I should do a cooking one. Because people like my cooking more than my hair cutting. Man, Jules talked to me and he goes, you know, I don't watch your hair stuff much, but, dude, you make me hungry. I'm like, fuck off, mate. Like, <laughs> Classic <laughs> Jules. He's, he's always, you know, so I guess if you, want to, if you want to create side hustles, as some people call it, or yeah. other businesses, you need a foundation first to start with. Started with a good salon, good skills, worked hard, practiced a lot, tried to develop something that I could then build on. And then I started my YouTube and then opportunities come from that. So and it's not like something you, you can't realize. go the other way. You can't build digital stuff outside of the salon. Forget what I'm doing here. My clients feel neglected. They stop coming. Yeah. That ends. And then what have you got left? Nothing. Yeah, you got to prioritize. That was something I learned on another. I'm having a good, we're having a good memory lane conversation here. But from um, Sonia Dove, I was saying to her, like, how do you, how do you prioritize your clients? You're being asked, say you, say you have a book. Like, that's the other thing about being freelance. Say, you know, you're like, I, it's amazing. I pick my days off this and that yet I'm booked until next month that if I have a friend still asked me to go out on Friday night, my Saturday's still booked. Like I can't do it's It's not as free in that regard as you think, because hopefully you're booked in advance. So something I had said was what about when you get an opportunity to go to a hair show or whatever, but you have clients in. And she said, the clients always come first. That's my bread and 100%. butter. That's what it is. That's who comes first. And the other things have to be worked around it rather than you always shuffling clients around. 
hundred percent. Clients, yeah. clients, and the staff. Well, way I run my business is staff come first always because you've got happy staff that look after your clients. Yeah. But the business is a foundation to build everything else off. So you know, when when I want to go and order, you know, twelve hundred t-shirts to start selling <laughs> online, how do you think it's funded? Yeah. You now it's funded by having a strong foundation underneath. Um, I know North America, it's good now. I've got a drop shipping arrangement with a the manufacturer there, so I actually don't see them. They just um, get sold, but all the stuff in yeah. Australia I still order and send yeah. them out myself because I think you need to commit to 10,000 and I'm nowhere near that. Yeah. I'd be lucky if I sold like 200, 200 or so a year. But I think it's cool for people to know like how it all happens and that it's not this like bing, bang, boom thing, because I think a lot of people maybe only recently have seen because of Instagram or things, you know, it seems overnight like, oh, he just started a YouTube channel last year. And now, you know, like it's no. it's important to hear like, no, no, I was 2011. <laughs> it's, it's a, look, it's a lot of work, but I encourage everyone to try it. You should just try yeah. it. Um, but, you know, you have to be prepared to sacrifice other stuff i certainly don't have a social life i can tell you that <laughs> well you've made time for me and i appreciate that so i'll always uh, make time for you though. Is there anything that you feel like you want to share that we haven't spoken about anything that was yeah that wasn't but i feel like that was good i hope you do <laughs> no i think i think we had a good chat i think the most important thing important thing to come of this conversation is your career can actually be whatever you want it to be if you yeah. want to work by yourself, great. If you want to own a salon, great. If you want to work in a salon, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But the most important thing, regardless of which path you choose, is you've got to have a plan. Now you've got to write it down. You've got to be well well educated on what your plan is and you've got to execute. There's no point having all these great ideas and not having the courage to just give it a crack. Mm-hmm. Just try. And that's the thing. I hear so many hairdressers with great ideas, but only 1% will execute. And you probably see that when you educate people. You give them all these skills and, only 1% will go away and actually execute what you're giving them. Yeah. So to take anything out of this chat is whatever path feels right for you, make sure you have a plan and don't be scared to follow through and execute your ideas because that that's really the only regret you'll have is like maybe I should have and you didn't. That wouldn't be a nice feeling. Yeah, I totally agree. You just got to do it. Like if nobody listens to my channel and, you know, maybe they're still not listening, but at least I'm, I'm getting something out of it. I get something out of these conversations. I love hearing people's stories. I loved hearing yours. I thought it was very similar to mine in, in the beginning. And it's just so interesting to me that at least if it, it sparks one person being interested in hairdressing and being like, oh shit, like he went to America and got to go to LA and does hair. Like, that's what I want to do. Well, okay. Now you know how to start the foundation of doing it. And that's why I started this podcast. So thank you for sharing and just, your and, story. And, don't, and when you, and when you put yourself out there, don't worry about judgment because that's just how it is. Yeah. Because people, people never say negative things about people who aren't good at what they do. Why mm. would you bother? Yeah. People only say negative things about people who are doing something that's different, innovative, or actually might be good at what they do. So block out the noise and just focus on your goals. Love it. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome, babe. Nice chatting to you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. If you made it this far, I hope that it means you enjoyed the episode. If you did, the most helpful thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly appreciated, and I hope that you'll join me next week on The Successful Stylist Unfoiled.